Well, we're beginning a new series today called The Good Shepherd. As we launch into a period of time where we're going to be calling some more men to come and serve our church family as shepherds. And this whole series, the kind of jumping off point, is going to be Psalm 23. But really, this series has two purposes. The first is to define for us what a shepherd is. And secondly, is to connect you to the good shepherd. And that's my hope throughout this series. And as we we talk about this, this last series that we just got through, Sex in a Broken World, I think illustrates perfectly the incredible need that we do have for those spiritual guides in our life. As I have heard story after story of people who are struggling, whose marriages are um, on the rocks, and just looking for guidance, looking for help, looking for hope. And I think it is so important. But I want to start this week with a, a really, really important question um, for this series. Why do we need shepherds? Why do we need shepherds? Next week we'll kind of talk more about what is a shepherd, but why do we even need shepherds? And I thought the best way to tell you why we need shepherds is just simply to show you. So watch this. So, so that is that is why we need shepherds. <laughs> that is why we need shepherds. And, and I think that illustrates maybe better than any other example I could find the story of Israel. The story of the people of God continuing to fall in the ditch, continuing to struggle. Because you, you think about how the story begins in Genesis as God creates man and woman and places them in basically paradise with Him and relationship and communion with Him. And they decide that they want to try to create this better world for themselves. And they find themselves on the outside of the garden looking in. And they have two sons named Cain and Abel. And Cain gets mad at his brother Abel and he kills him. And from there, it just kind of spirals out of control. To the point where God gets so frustrated with the evil and the corruption on the earth. Because things were really different back then than they are now that he decides to just kind of start clean with this new family. And so God calls this new family, Noah, out of a flood, out of this ark where he saved and redeemed them. But the problem is the people. That's always been the problem. And the people continue to spiral out of control. And continue to try to create their own world, where it comes to this culmination where the people gather together to build a tower to reach to the heavens so that they can make a name for themselves and so that they can be known. 
And out of this group of people, God decides we're going to start a new nation, a new family. And so he calls a man named Abraham, and he says, we're going to go, and you're going to be a blessing to the whole world where all the other nations are about themselves and taking care of them and blessing themselves. You're going to be different and that the whole world will be blessed through you and your family. Abraham has a nephew, and his name is Lot. And one night, some men, some angels basically, show up at his door, and he is providing shelter for them. And they show up at the door, and they want to violate his visitors. So instead, he offers him his two daughters so that they could violate and have sex with them. And if that wasn't bad enough, then the daughters get dad, Lot, drunk, and he impregnates them. Abraham has a son named Isaac, and Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And and Isaac plays favorites with his two sons, Jacob and Esau, which results in bitterness for 40 years. And then Jacob plays favorites with his sons, and Joseph is basically killed, wanted close to being killed, excuse me, by his brothers and then sold into slavery. And it creates this cycle where it seems like God blesses these people and then they try to fix things on their own and make and create a better world and then they fall into a ditch. And then God pulls them out for them just to simply run and jump back into another ditch. The story just continues. And the problem is the sin that you see through the people of God and through Israel continues to cause problems generation after generation. That it's not just, hey, this is my deal and my sin and I'm going to deal with the consequences of it. It's, this is my sin and my deal, and I'm going to force the coming generations to have to deal with the effects of my sin. And so the people find themselves as slaves in Egypt. You go from the goodness of God in the garden to slaves in Egypt in one book of the story of God. In one book, you find constant failure of the people to live in communion with God and with one another. And so we're going to pick up with the people as slaves in Egypt, suffering under the oppression of Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 3. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, 
And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And so God is, is talking to a leader that he has called. A man named Moses. And Moses has a past. Just years before God calls him to lead these people, he tried to take matters into his own hands and killed an Egyptian. And he tried to cover it up and had to run and hide in the desert of Midian for 40 years. And so God comes to this man, Moses, who we would think does not deserve to be a part of the plan. Who we would think there is no possible way that God could use. Because he's like all the other people of Israel. That sin and corruption define his life. They're, they're part of the problem. And so God tells Moses, I've heard the cry of these people. I'm, I'm listening to them. I'm concerned about them. So I'm going to come down to you. And then he says this in chapter 3, verse 10. If you, yeah, there we go. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Here's his message to Moses. You're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to lead the people out. And so here is the very first time in the history of God's people that he really calls someone to be a shepherd. And why does he do that? Because the people were badly in need of help. And so God hears the cry of the people, and he says, I've come down to rescue them. But his coming down to rescue them does not look the way we would assume it would. Because if we were to picture how God would come down to rescue, it would probably be through a loud, booming voice. It would probably be through lightning bolts and thunder. It would probably be this amazing show. But instead, God comes down through the presence of a person. A person that he is going to call to lead his people. To guide them. To shepherd them. To walk with them. See, because there was a problem beneath the surface that the people couldn't see. What was the problem for the Israelites in Egypt? We were slaves, and we were in Egypt, and we had these oppressors. But the problem went way below the surface of that. The problem wasn't we're slaves in Egypt. The problem was systemic sin. It was the systemic sin of generations of Israelites. It was these 12 brothers who 11 of hated their younger brother, Joseph. And they wanted to kill him because he was their father's favorite. And they sell him into slavery. And yet somehow God uses that moment for good in redeeming his people. 
Because Joseph finds himself in a place in Egypt where he is able to care for the people. And you can see that God has continued to bring them out of these ditches. But all of the generational sin of their past finally catches up with them. And a new Pharaoh comes to power who doesn't know Joseph. And Israel finds themselves as slaves. Hurting and broken. And see, it wasn't just their problem. It wasn't just their sin problem that laid the foundation for their circumstances. It was also the systemic sin of the people in Egypt. It was the sin of Pharaoh and his officials who continued to oppress and marginalize a group of people. To use and abuse their power over them. And sin has spun into this incredibly destructive storm. And God needs a man to come and lead His people. He needs a man to come and stand before the people and to walk with them and to point them to Him. To love them well. But I want you to notice something. As God speaks to Moses, He does not tell them or tell Moses that your job is to deliver these people. Moses, your job is to lead these people. See, the problem is if Moses confuses his calling and his purpose for God's purpose, he will ultimately fail at both. Because the first, he was called to. The second, he is completely incapable of. Moses' job is not to be the Savior of Israel, but it is simply to point the people to the Savior of Israel, to stand before them and to lead Him. And so throughout the history of God's people, God has used prophets and priests and kings to lead these people. And one of the kings that he calls to lead this people is a guy named King David. And King David's life was this picture of pursuing God. Up until the point he comes to a place of power and control and comfort. And we find in King David's life that he's no different than all the other leaders and all of the other people before him. That sin still wreaks havoc over his life, over his world, and causes problems for all the people. But it is from this man who God has called 
a man after his own heart. That we hear a psalm that you have probably heard probably more than any other passage of Scripture in all of the Bible. A a psalm that David pours out to God, and like I said, we want to use kind of as a jumping off point throughout this series. And it begins this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. This God who says He's going to come and walk, and and understand this, as David talks about his relationship with God, he describes Him as a shepherd. And if you listen to this psalm, it sounds like incredibly good news. Think about this from the perspective of the people of Israel who continue to run and jump in ditches, who God continually has to pull out and save and redeem. To hear these words that God is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He leads me beside the quiet waters, the still waters. He restores my soul. Think about that from the perspective of a people whose life is in chaos. Who lives their lives as slaves. Who live their lives as exiles. Who are continually needing guidance, and hope. See, because here's the thing. Is Israel's life and Israel's story is not any different from ours. Because we can say that video, the sheep jumping in the ditch, perfectly reflects the life of Israel. But let's be really honest it perfectly reflects our life as well. All of the times that we find ourselves in a ditch. And God steps in to pull us out only to find ourselves jumping right back in. And finding ourselves hurting and hopeless, and oppressed, and struggling just to make it through the day. See, if you're a slave in a foreign land, do you get the opportunity to rest? As a slave in Egypt making bricks, as an exile wandering from city to city and not having a home, do you think there's any point in your life where someone says, hey, I want you to come down and just rest beside these quiet and still waters. I'm going to refresh your soul. Or is it just the opposite? The oppressor hovers over you and says there is no way out. You are stuck, and you are without hope, 
and there is no way to move forward. But the beauty is that God promises His people that He would come down. That He would come down into their mess to step into their world and rescue the people. That He would be the one that would lead them beside the quiet waters and He would allow them to sit down and find rest. And with Him as their shepherd, they would lack nothing. See, here's the thing. is you live in a world that tells you hundreds of times a day that you're not good enough and what you have is not good enough. I think psychologists say about 3,000 times a day we receive those messages. And they come through the form of advertisements, right? Saying that your clothes aren't good enough, but if you'll buy these clothes, then you will be good and this vehicle that you're driving is not good enough but if you buy ours then it will be your life will be content and everything will be fine and the house that you have and the family that you have and the marriage that you have all falls way short and there is something better we live in a world where we don't say we lack nothing We practically live in a world that we say we lack everything. We're in constant need of more. But what David has found, I believe, is what we all hope to find. This contentment in our life and in our soul, in the restlessness deep within us, that says, with God as my shepherd, I am never lacking anything. And through God, my shepherd, I lack nothing. I find rest in my weariness. Do you believe that? Not not just like in church that we're supposed to answer, yes, we believe that God's our shepherd and I lack nothing, but truly deep within you, do you believe that? Because I'm guessing if you're like me, you believe there's a lot of things you lack. There's a lot of things that you need. There's a lot of things that will bring you fulfillment. I think that's why when we go and buy something, we feel so good. Unless you're one of those cheap people that just doesn't like to spend money. But when we go and buy something, we feel better about ourselves. I mean, how is it that we get a new vehicle and suddenly we feel better? about ourselves. A vehicle that we spend all of our time inside and never actually see the outside of. Or when we get new clothes. Or we get a raise. We suddenly find 
this feeling of pride. The Lord is my shepherd. And with the Lord as my shepherd, I lack nothing. See, Moses' responsibility was not to replace God. Moses' responsibility was to represent God to the people. He he was the one that God was going to use to come down and rescue. That he would be the hands and the feet. And the same thing is true about the men that we're going to call to shepherd our church. The men who already do shepherd our church. That their purpose is not to save you. It is simply to point you to the Savior. Their their, their purpose is not to rescue you. But it's to be the voice, the advocate, that points you to the rescuer. That helps to restore and redeem His people. That He has a purpose And I feel like for so long, our churches have had terrible models of shepherding. Not all, but some really bad models. Where where what we want to do is find really successful people and really successful businessmen who can come in and put in a, a new model for our church that's going to lead and guide it. But here's the thing, that was never the purpose of a shepherd. The purpose of the shepherd has always been to give spiritual guidance and care to the people of God. It has always been to walk alongside people. See, in, in this mentality that we've had, it's, we find good, successful businessmen, and we say, we want you to lead us. And our thinking is, they just need to learn a new skill set. But that's not at all the case. Their purpose is to continually point us back to the kingdom. Because our shepherds, they seek to be the spiritual caregivers of the people of God. And to lead by serving and providing biblical counsel and grief support and prayer and spiritual accountability. And in our leadership here at Shiloh, we have shepherds, and we have ministers, and we have deacons, and we have ministry leaders. And we think so often about this in terms of hierarchy rather than purpose. It's not about a hierarchy. It is about purpose and what they are called to do, what they are designed to do. Because here's one of the things I can tell you about our shepherds here is if you go and ask them, hey, did you know we're getting new signs? The answer you're probably going to... I think I heard something about that at some point. Or did you know we're redoing the parking lot? Yeah, when I showed up and it was under construction. Did did you know that we're dividing up our classes? No, No, I didn't. Why? Because that is not their role. That is not their function. That is not their purpose. We have ministers. We have deacons. 
We have ministry leaders that carry out the business side of church. And it's not to say church is a business, but what we typically think of as business to order, to arrange, to plan, to dream. And our shepherd's job is to walk alongside the people of God and to give care and counsel to them. Because I I can just tell you from working with these men, and I I love these men to death, they kind of say, hey, here are some some really broad parameters. We want you to go do ministry because that's what God has called and created you to do. And they say that to every one of our ministers, to our deacons, to our ministry leaders. You go and be the ministers that God has called you to be. Because it's not about a hierarchy, it's about a purpose. For, for me, I think the way this was represented better than any other moment in my time here at Shiloh. When we went through our REACH campaign, when what, was that 17 or 18, something in there, um, we said, hey, we're going to redo this auditorium. It really needs to be updated. We're going to redo our children's wing. And in my mind, that was our plan. That's what we needed to do. And I remember in a meeting one evening, one of our elders stepped up and said, but what are we doing to really engage our people in ministry with our community? I don't know. We just need new facilities. And they came up with this idea that we're going to invite people to give $300,000 that we're going to set aside and it's going to be called the REACH Fund. And we're going to use that to minister to our community. And I said, that's great. What are we going to do with it? And they said, I don't know. But we need to have a plan to tell the people what they're going to give that money for. God will provide a way for us to use it to bless our community. But everything I know says, no, you have to have a purpose for it before people are going to give to it. Let's just trust that God will provide and show us. I said, okay. So we want people to give an additional 300000 that we can put in an account that will be there so that we can bless our community as opportunities come up. And for the first probably year, I remember sitting in meetings and us just praying and saying, so what are we going to do with this? How are we going to use this money? And it seemed like, like nothing in, in my mind, and maybe, maybe my timeline is off. Some of you guys might remember better my, my timeline. But, but it seemed like forever where we weren't doing anything. And I remember sitting in meetings and, and guys going, guys, we need to start using this money. People have given this money. And we just kept praying for opportunities. And here's what I can tell you now on the other side is we have had so many 
amazing opportunities over the past year and a half to bless our community with that money. Reach basketball. Yesterday we had, you know, almost 80 kids out here. 90% aren't Shiloh members. I get to work with the TJC baseball team on a weekly basis. Monday mornings, I basically get to preach them a small sermon. We have breakfast together. We have embraced grace and embraced life. And it's been these opportunities that we never planned for that showed up and we didn't have to go back and say, hey, we need to create budget for this. We need to, we need to figure out where that money's going to come from. It was, here's an opportunity. Let's go. Let's serve. Let's do it. You see, because the shepherd's job is to point us back to the kingdom focus. To keep us moving in the direction of the kingdom, walking in step with Jesus. Because we so easily lose sight of that purpose, of that plan. And we need people that will call us back to that focus, to point us back to our true north. Did you know that when you pull out a compass, there are actually two norths? There is a true north it's basically a set point based on the rotational axis of the earth. And then there is a magnetic north, the direction the compass actually points to. And while the true north is a fixed point that never moves, magnetic north tends to move based on the core of the earth. And if you set your compass traveling by the wrong north. For instance, right now I'm pointed north. And if I were to travel from here to the back of the auditorium based on the wrong north, I wouldn't be more than a step away. But if I were to try to travel to the North Pole based on the wrong north, I would miss my destination by some 300 miles because I was moving at a target that continually moved and wasn't the true north. And, and I, I see our shepherd's role so much as the one who just readjusts and says, no, no, okay, hey, hey, I know we're, we're moving in the direction of Jesus, but let's, let's move back on course. Let, let's get back to following Jesus. Let's get back to living our life on purpose for the kingdom. And, and so Paul is traveling around and starting these churches as he's telling people about Jesus. And I want to kind of wrap up with this right here. He, he's traveling around, he's telling people about Jesus, and these churches are beginning. And he says to them, I want you to keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. This is not our church. We just simply get to be a part. We're stewards. We're workers. 
And he goes on to say, I know after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth of Jesus in order to draw away disciples after them. And that is the goal. That is why we need shepherds. To protect the flock. To guide them. To help them see the good news of the shepherd. See, when I was growing up, I had this this idea, this perception that, that an elder's job, a shepherd's job, was just to make the rules for the church. But that was never the purpose. It was always to be the spiritual caregivers of the church, of the people of God. I want to ask, and I know there's a few that aren't here, but our our shepherds, our current shepherds, to just stand for a second. I know David and Leonard are out this morning. We have eight men currently who serve our church as shepherds. Ron, Dwight, Harry, Mike, John, and Don. And then Leonard is not here. He sits right there usually. (laughs) And then David sits back in here somewhere usually. But I can tell you I love these men deeply. And I get to sit in meetings with them week after week. And I, I will just tell you the focus of most of our time together is praying for you. Because these men love this church, the people of this church, dearly. I am so, so thankful and honored to serve along with them. Each week, we, we kind of offer this invitation. And we have these men and their wives go stand at the back of the auditorium. And the purpose in doing that is just simply providing a place for you to go for counsel and care and prayer And they are honored to do that. For you to call when you need them. When you're struggling and when you're grieving and when you're hurting and when you need help and when you need direction and when you need guidance. They are here for you. So over the next several weeks, we're going to begin this process. But as we start today, um, there are these cards. There are some back here. They're on our Facebook page. Y'all can stay standing. I'm going to, I'm going to, y'all just stay. Actually, do a couple of squats real quick. Up, down, maybe five. Back in the back at the, there are some actual paper cards. But then if you go to the, our, our notes pages or our, our app, these cards are there. And it just kind of gives some direction. Because we want to spend the next week praying and fasting for this process. And so there's a kind of a focus for every day for you to pray on. You can grab those there. We'll send it out on CCB later today as well, um, just so that you can have access to that. But we would love for you to join in praying, not only for these men, but this process as we enter in to calling more men to serve. So I'm going to ask these men and these, their wives to head to the back right now, the auditorium, because we are um, here for that purpose. And if they could help you in any way, They would love to do that. They would love to pray with you, pray over you, give you counsel, share with you, walk with you however they could. 
So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. God, we're grateful. Um, and Father, I'm so grateful for these men um, and their, their spouses. So thankful that they love our church so well. Father, that they serve your body so well. Father, I pray your blessing over them. But Father, I also pray your blessing over us as a church family as we begin the process of calling these new men to join them in serving this family. And Father, hopes that we would be the body of Christ here in Tyler, Texas that is representing you to this world. And Father, that you're providing opportunity after opportunity for us to reach into our community into the face of the oppression, the hurt, the pain, the chaos, and point them to the Good Shepherd. Father, we thank you. We're so grateful to be here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.